0: Before we begin, let us all take a moment to remind ourselves how extremely fortunate we are to receive the teaching of the Noble One. This is the only path there is to deliverance, the only path to liberation, the only path to real freedom. every other effort is a waste of time. Having recognized this, we start by taking an oath. This is a pledge that we take upon ourselves to realize the truth, to fulfill it, and to help others on that same quest. So as a reminder of that, let us take a moment to chant the Namaskar. In veneration of the Supreme, the Enlightened One, this is not only in veneration, but also, as I said, this is a pledge that we take upon ourselves. To achieve our liberation. So, with that, let us bring our hands together. To pay veneration to the magnificent one, the unvanquished one, the undefeated one, the immaculate one. This is the Supreme Buddha. Namo bhagavato arhato samma Namo tasse bhagavato Arahato samma sambuddhasse Namo tasse bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhasse Last week I left you all with something to think about. I was quite impressed if I may say so myself, by the power of your merits, the things that we get to hear under this roof when we all come together. I thought it was a fantastic simile of what's really going on with us and why most of the things we demand, ask and request for, from those who have opened their eyes and woken up, seem to sometimes fall on deaf ears. And why they seem to ignore and neglect some of those demands. Now some of you may not have been here, so I will briefly remind this points that we talked about. We have all seen nightmares, when we are in our sleep and we see a nightmare, we get scared, dead scared. So scared, sometimes we start screaming. Turning around in our bed, hoping that someone will come and save us. We've all been there. I doubt there's anyone here who's never had a nightmare. So you know what I'm talking about. When you have these nightmares, you don't know that they're dreams, do you? That is the worst part about it. It's not the dream itself, but the fact that you don't know it's a dream. Because when you don't know that it's a dream, you don't know that you should be waking up. And that waking up is the answer to the problem. So, you do everything other than the one thing that you need to do (laughs) to get out of this problem. Everything but the one thing. Sabbe sankhara anicchati. Sabbe sankhara dukkhati. Sabbe dhamma anattati. Yada panyaya pasati. Atanipitati dukkhya. Esamaghu visuddhya. What is the path to liberation? Waking up. When you're in your dream and you're having a nightmare, you know, a nightmare is the worst kind of dream. You have sweet dreams. Hmm? We like to have sweet dreams, don't we? We wish people sweet dreams. Good night, and... Good night, huh? Sweet dreams. Even in these sweet dreams, so they're not necessarily just problems in nightmares. Even in these sweet dreams, there are things still that you'd like to happen. And when it happens, that's when you call it a sweet dream. You're with someone that you like, doing something that you like, being somewhere you like, and that's when you say it's a sweet dream. <clears throat> and then you wish for things to happen. You wish for a script to be played out in this dream. And when it does, you say that's a sweet dream. And when it goes completely against, anything you could hope for, wish for, and dream for, then you say it's a nightmare. So when you, even when you have these sweet dreams, you may ask for something, you may make demands, you may... Have you ever seen, have you ever seen someone in a dream, so some people walk in their dreams? Sleep walking? Some people, they talk in their sleep? Hmm? Are you one of them? I've seen a fair few people who do that. They talk in their dreams and When they wake up, you ask them, what was all that about? Sometimes they don't have a clue. Sometimes they remember. Some dreams you remember, right? After you've woken up, sometimes you remember, sometimes you don't. But the thing is, when you're in your dreams, it's all a virtual world. Who creates that world? It's all self-created. That's why... There's no one who can orchestrate a dream for you. You know, I I love that example because, or that simile, because there's lots of different avenues we can explore and really understand what's going on with us. In your dreams, you might either, you know, be grateful and thankful to someone because they're doing something that you like, which is wrong. Because no one's doing that for you. Or you might be scared, frightened, and you have a an argument, or maybe you're going to have a fight with someone, and you're pointing your finger at someone else, because they're chasing you, they're running after you, daggers in their hands, bow and arrow, huh? clubs in their hands, trying to murder you, chop your head off. And you ask for freedom. You want them to stop. Save me, save me, save me. chhod do mujhe. depending on where you're from. Or simply, you know, most of the time it will just be intelligible uh, or unintelligible just blabber. Hmm? Uh, <laughs> and screams. But if asked why then you'll have a story to tell. In your dream world you're the director. You're the director but you have no control over what's going on. See this is the thing. It's your world That you've created. It's your dream, isn't it? It's your dream. But in your dream, you have no control. Now, let's draw a reference from that to just a a simple example. It's your car. But you have no control. It's your family. But how much control do you really have? It's your health, but how much control do you have? Simply put it, it's your life, but how much control do you really have? But you feel that it is yours. And if it's my dream, then I'm in control. Or at least you can think to yourself. So in this dream world, you keep asking for help, you ask for favors, you ask make demands, and you Wish for something else to happen or wish for more of it to happen. These are the two ways in which you interact with the world. More of it or less of it. More of it when you like it, less of it when you don't like it. But when you are in your dream world, all your interactions are with the characters that you have in the dream world and you are trying to make it happen the way you want it. (coughs) Who here has been ever able to control the, the way they dream, you know, what you dream, the characters in that? You know, it's, it's like, you know, you just get dropped out of a parachute, right? Or, you know, out of a plane on a parachute and you just land and you wake your eyes and it's the setting, whatever that setting is. You can't, you know, you can't, you can, before you go to sleep, you can't wish, ah, today I'm going to dream about this, can you? That's not how it works. You can't prepare for your dream. You can't plan for your dream. You can't choose your dream. Whatever your mental states are at that point, perhaps you know, uh, you've know you watched some horror, maybe it's Halloween night and you've been watching some horror movies, and then most of the time you know that night you're going to be directing a horror movie in your dreams, or at least you're going to be the victim, more so than the villain. <clears throat> If it's a, an action movie, hmm? typically movies you watch will have some influence on what you'll be dreaming that night. <coughs> if you spend the day with someone you like, then typically in your dream you'll be with that yeah. person. Sometimes doing things that you could, you, you like to have done, but you never got the chance to do. These are dreams. But unfortunately, the truth is, it's all just a dream. Any happiness you enjoy in a dream, is it valid? Is it valid? How much would you pay for a ticket in the dream world? They say, you know, in your dream world, we are going to, you know, take you to a park. Okay? They're going to take you to a park and uh, the ticket is, uh, say, ten bucks. You know, would, you, would you pay for that? Would you? No, because it's just a dream. You know it's not real. But when you're in your dream, it seems very real. Now, I want you to start making those connections to the real world, or what seems like the real world. <clears throat> so in this world that you live, there are people who are connected to you there are things that are connected to you so a few people would be your family your friends your spouse children and so on and there are uh, things that you know about yourself so perhaps you you call yourself uh, you know whatever by whatever profession you are in <coughs> a businessman An engineer, a lawyer, a company director, a musician, an artist and so on. In the dream world also, you have this. And in this world that we live in, we interact with each other, hoping to achieve something. We hope to achieve happiness, which is the fundamental need and for all, all sentient beings, we hope to achieve happiness. We hope to achieve satisfaction, fulfillment, contentment, and all these good things. But, it always seems like happiness is one step ahead of us. We're always striving for it, but we never achieve it. You gotta to start to think why that is. Why is sabbe sankara anicchati? <clears throat> Why is it every effort you make seems like something that gets you closer, that, is, that seems apparent that it gets you closer, but you are never there? Did we talk about the ice cream tub last week? We did. Hmm. When you sit down on your couch with your ice cream tub and your spoon in hand, and you start digging into it, How many times have you stopped only because the spoon hit the bottom of the tub, not realizing that you'd actually gone through all of it? It's happened. We need to take a moment to understand why that happens the way it does. This is all in a dream world. And then you realize that it's time to wake up. (coughs) Let me explain. When you walk up to the freezer or to the shop, you get your ice cream, right? If I asked you, why are you doing that? You'll tell me it's because I want to have ice cream. Simple as that, right? Why do you go to the cafeteria? Because I want to have a coffee. Why do you go to the deli? Not Delhi. Why do you go to the deli? Because I want to have a croissant, perhaps. Maybe a bun or something, right? You'll say So why is it that, that when you get to have one, you're looking for another? Hmm. Why is it when you have one? It's not enough. If ice cream is what you want, then once you have a spoonful of ice cream, you've had ice cream. So why do you dig in with, you know, with the spoon again? Why a second helping? Not satisfied? Why? I want you to start to think. Mm -hmm. Think. 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 Some of you will already have the answer. I want everyone to start thinking. We think that a successful life is where we get everything we want. A happy life, right? Uh, A prosperous life is a life in which anything you want, you know, your whims and fancies, whatever you want is there at your beck and call. We feel that that is a successful life. And if you ask you know, people, you know, what sort of lifestyle would you like to have? What are your dreams? What are your ambitions? People will say, I want to live a life unlike my parents, unlike my, my folks you know, who've had to try, struggle to make a living. I don't want to be like that. When I'm, when, I'm, when I'm older, I want to be someone who can demand anything, who can have anything. At the drop of a hat, I want to be able to have that. So, people grow up thinking that having what they want is what success is. That is partly true if people really reckon, really understood and identified what it is that they really wanted. So, I come back to the question. This is all in a dream world. Okay? I come back to the question. Why is it that, that you take your spoon and dig into your ice cream tub, And you don't stop when you get the first spoon, spoonful. I'll prompt this question to you, so you can start thinking along these lines. Was it ice cream that you really wanted? (laughs) So these days we are studying how young kids work. How young minds work because we want to engineer them. Now there are parents in the room and parents here who will have experience, have had experience bringing up children will know that one of the toughest challenges that you have as a parent is to get the child to do what you want them to do because typically the child will will want to do what they want to do and to make matters worse you're doing all the things that the child wants to do but you're telling them not to do those things when was the last time you sat down hmm? husband and wife mother and father sat down round the dinner table and said let's do our homework tonight when was the last time you said that you don't but what do you tell your kids Stop watching TV and go do your homework. You say that. And what do you do? You watch TV. Let me explain to you why you are having such a tough time bringing up your children. (laughs) See, this this is life. This is the university of life. Here we tackle life problems, real problems. That's why I don't come here with the Tripitaka and talk to you about how this happens with that and that happens with this. This is not an Abhidhamma lesson. This is your life lesson. Okay, but these are the questions that you never asked. You never knew who to ask. Uh, and you never knew how to tackle. Because there was never a school, a parenting school. Right? You learn how to make kids, not how to bring them up into this world. And how to help them grow up and become, you know mature people, that is not your fault, you just never had the opportunity. <clears throat> your child observes you, as I say parents you know, are who the child aspires to be. So they look at you and they think this is what I want to be like. You know the father is typically a, the child's hero, the mother is the child's hero. So, usually, you know, at a very young age, you ask the child, what do you want to be? Usually, they'll tell, I'll want to be, you know, like my father. Whatever, you say the father is a coconut plucker. Then the child will say, I want to be a coconut plucker. Because that's what the child knows. Because that's the influence the child gets. And fair enough. Until the child gets an opportunity to go outside, you know, study the world and explore and see what else is available, what's going on with the world and so on. Until then, you know, the child's world is very limited. So, that's all they know. So, the challenge that you have is, how come children don't do what you want them to do, but children do what they want to do? Well, you've got to start closer to home. You've got to start wondering, what are the things that you are in front of your child, what are the things that you show them that are pleasurable. That's why I said you don't do your homework. You don't go to bed at eight. Hmm? But you ask your child, right? Like, it's eight, bedtime. So what does the child Looks at you, right? So why don't you then? And then what you'll say is, no, because we are adults. We are adults. So no one Tells me when to go to bed. You're a child, so you go to bed when I tell you to go to bed. Now tell me what would the child want? To become an adult. ASAP. Have you ever wondered why children like to behave like adults? Why they like to get into the father's shoes and start walking around? Why their play, what they, they'd rather be doing is getting into your car, sitting in the driver's seat and go broom broom. That's what they like because in their little world they are trapped as children. They are trapped as children and they feel that it's a curse. <clears throat> Parents are responsible. For making life hell for children. And I'm talking you through how we are analyzing this these days and, and, and why we believe we have a much better plan for rearing and raising a child in this world. That is what we are doing at the, at Noble Hearts, where we have a lot of young children. We understand how the mind works you understood how a child's body works. So you were able to feed the child, give it the right injections at the right time, and you also understood that in 10, 15, 20 years' time, the child will need to be able to do a good job, so therefore it needs a good education. right? So education, food, shelter, clothing, medicine, these are the things that typically parents No, and therefore that is what they will do. What they will forget is this is the mind that we are dealing with. Not forget but actually what they are ignorant about. So this is really good stuff. Now see what's going on. The child observes the parents doing all the things that he wants to do. Why does he want to do them? Because that is what you present to the child as being pleasurable and fun. So dad gets to bring his friends over. Every weekend, dad gets to bring his friends over. Mom gets to speak to her friends at whatever time of day. And there are no restrictions. Dad gets to be on his computer, on his tab, on his phone, on the internet, doing whatever he likes. Right? Mom and dad get to put their feet up on the table and watch movies. Yeah. But when it's 8 o'clock, they get to stay up, and the child has to go to bed. So now the child gets frustrated. Remember, this is not a child, this is a mind. You say it's a child because it's just a small package. But inside, it's, it's a mind just like your mind. As potent, as viable, and has all the conditions that you have. <clears throat> so the child is observing you, wanting to do all the things that you do, because you say these are the things that make you happy, but you don't want the child to do that. That's why I asked you, You know, when was the last time you sat down around the dining table and said, let's do our homework? You've never done that, therefore the child doesn't feel that that's the thing that makes them happy. But you go to work. So if you ask the child, what do you want to do? I want to grow up. And I want to go to work like daddy. So you'll see them carrying a briefcase. Walking around. Now you always wondered, right? Why do, why do kids want to do things that adults do? Why don't they like to behave like, you know, just like kids? Then you know, if Life would be so much easier if that were the case. No. Because that is not what they see. So that is not what they're indoctrinated with. So, I come back to the question, why ice cream? If you can answer that question, then you will have the answer to how do you get children to do what they really need to be doing, rather than, you know, resorting to punishment. You don't need the cane treatment, if you understood the mind and how that works. The reason you keep digging into that ice cream is because it is not ice cream you want. For the same reason, some of you may be struggling with children who are addicted to games, computer games, maybe the mobile phone, and you're trying to, see you're trying to get them out of it. Perhaps you resort to shouting at them, maybe punishing them, maybe detention. Hmm? There are better devices, by devices I, mean, I don't mean the device strategies, better methods, it starts by you understanding that it's a mind and how that mind works. It's not the game that the child wants. It's not TV that the child wants. It's not the stickers that the child wants. It's looking for something else. That is why, no matter how many times you give it, he's not happy. That's why all the pizza in the world is not going to get your child to say that's enough that's why not all the games that the child is going to play he's ever going to say that's enough because that's not what he wanted but he thinks that that is what he wants because when he plays the game when he eats the ice cream something happens inside something happens inside that gives him pleasure but what he doesn't understand is it's not that thing nor that food, nor that activity that gives him pleasure. He doesn't know this. He connects the pleasure that he experiences with the activity that he does. That's like Pavlov's conditioning. Anyone who's done any psychology will know. Right? Pavlov and his dogs, how he is conditioning. You give a treat, right, and so you ring the bell and the dog you give the treat and the dog, after a while, connects the, the prompt with the treat. So, the next time round, when you ring the bell, the dog starts salivating. Pavlov's conditioning. So, this is what's going on. But the child doesn't understand this. So, when, they experience, when, when the child experiences pleasure and they experience it when they were in an activity, they think that this activity is what brought them pleasure. So, the, but the thing is, you know, that's what they see when with you as well. <coughs> when you're at home watching TV, and you got a smile on your face. Now the child sees smile, TV. Smile, TV. So what brings smile? TV. Now try and stop them from watching TV if you can. That is what you try to do. That is why, you know, at what age do you start giving the child the dhamma? 45, right? Why? Because we have to wait until they've had their good education, do their scholarship exams, do their O levels, do their A levels, then go to uni, get themselves a good job, right? Right? Then have a family, buy a house, get a car, right? And once they've settled down, that's the time to start to listen to the Dhamma, right? Any other time is too early, isn't it? Happy days. This is why children suffer. They feel trapped in their childhood. They want to grow out of it. They can't wait until adulthood comes and takes them. And that is why, you know, these days, have you not noticed that children are becoming more and more mature? You know, we call it mature because we have no better word to call it. But really what's happening is children are beginning to do things at a very young age that you and I, we know, we never even dreamt of in that young age. Now you've got to ask the question, why? It's, you can't just blame it on the times. You know, such, is, such are the times these days. You know, The world is too advanced in technology and this and that. Yeah, that's just a scapegoat. <clears throat> because you can't change that. You can't change the rate at which technology is advancing. You can't isolate your, your children from everything and everyone else in the world. So, you need to learn, as parents, I invite you to, how do you give these children, your children a good upbringing in a world that you have no control over? So, I ask again the question, dear parents, what is the right age at which you need to start teaching your children, the Dhamma? If I ask you what is the right age to start teaching your children how to write, you have an answer to that question. Shame on you. If I ask you at what age should you start teaching your children hmm, the number line, you have an answer to that because in the syllabus they have, in this class, they teach the number line. At what age do you start teaching your children the colors of the rainbow? You have an answer to that because it's in the national curriculum. I'm not talking about the fact that Prince Siddhartha was born and he walked on seven lotuses. That is not Dhamma. That is history. So really, in the, you know, under the guise of Buddhism, what is really taught in schools is really a lot of history. You make historians out of people. So they know about, you know, the history of Sri Lanka, they know the history of the world, they know the history of music and art and all those things, and they also know the history of the Buddha. They know the history of the Buddha. Not really what he taught and what his philosophy is. That's why I have a lot of respect for parents who make efforts to expose their children to this, the Dhamma, the truth. You owe them that. Remember the first promise you made them when you held your child in your hands, hmm, as the daughter takes the child out and presents the child to the mother, right? And when the mother sees the child for the the, the child's face for the first time, mothers in the house, you remember this. You couldn't stop happy tears. And then you looked at the child's face and you said, I will make you the happiest human being alive. Mothers would have said it. Fathers would have said it. And then from that day on, you strive to make that a reality. But again I ask you the question, at what age did you decide to teach them the dhamma? Before we chanted the Namaskara, what did I say? The only path to deliverance, the only path to liberation, the only path to true happiness lay in the Dhamma. But what typically happens is we give our children everything but. Everything but. I am trying to show you the size of the problem here. And I'm not saying, you know, from tomorrow let's change the national curriculum and we'll start teaching the Dhamma to every child, you know, in, in, in the world. Because, you know, that's just a fantasy. Impossible to make that happen. But, you can make a difference. You can influence your family. You can influence your brother, who's about to become a father. You can influence your sister who is planning on becoming a mother in the, in the course of the year. You can influence them. Because children live in this dream world. In this dream world, they have both nightmares and these sweet dreams and they believe that to be happy they need to have more of the sweet stuff And to be free from suffering, they just need to be free from the nightmares. But the truth is, there is only one answer to this. And that is to wake them up. So this is why one spoon, two spoons, three spoons is never enough. It is not ice cream you are after. Take your lives for a second. Think about the things that you've done in your life. And and you've done it several times over in the hope that, you know, it will eventually get you satisfied. Perhaps, you know, you like fine dining. Perhaps you like, you know, nice clothes. Perhaps you like perfumes, fragrances. Perhaps you like to go places. Perhaps you like music. Why was it never enough? It was never enough because that thing that you thought was making you happy was not what you wanted. It was not the food that you wanted. It was not the sight that you wanted. It was not the smell that you wanted. But you felt pleasure inside. You experienced that pleasure, and that, that experience was, you know, more real than real could ever be. That was the most real thing that you ever experienced, that pleasure. Problem was, you connected that pleasure with the activity, the outside world occurrence. And you thought, this is the thing that brings me pleasure. Until you teach this science to your children, they will always keep asking for the things that you will want them not to ask for. So, they'll always fight for the bike, and the toys, and the games, and the computer, and the phone. They'll keep demanding them, and you'll keep fighting them. See, you bring children into this world to be happy, but sometimes, you know, I know that there are some mothers who are really frustrated. They're really frustrated because they can't get their children to do what they want. And they'll bring them here and say, Swamin so how do I, how do I tame my child? How, how do I do this? How do I get my son to stop doing drugs? Parents will ask us, and they have asked us, and they keep on asking us. The thing is, it's not the drug that they wanted. But we try to stop them from the drugs, but it's not the drug that they want. It seems like it. <clears throat> so if you think happiness is in the ice cream, but it's not in it, when do you stop eating? I'll ask the question again there's a tub of ice cream you think you can be happy by having it but happiness is not in it when do you stop eating? never that is why you've never stopped eating ice cream see, you have the answer you think happiness is in watching TV but happiness is not in watching TV when do you stop watching TV? When would you stop? Never. You've not stopped watching TV, have you? There you go. So, you know, you you ask, you come and ask these questions. How do I stop doing this? How do I stop doing that? How do I live a more virtuous life? How do I live a more useful life? How do I get my children to stop, you know, wanting to play computer games? I'm giving you the answers here. So, one of two things has to happen. Either We've got to implant happiness into that activity, or the object, or food, or something. Or, the other thing has to happen. You've got to come to your senses and understand that happiness is not there. One of these two things has to happen. What's the first one? Either, we've got to find some way to put happiness into them. Hmm? So, we've got to find a way to put happiness into a tub of ice cream. You know, as they say in the adverts, right? Full of joy, full of happiness. They do (laughs) in the advertising, don't they? Happiness with every mouthful. Hmm? Temptation in every mouthful. If you ask me, this is false marketing. But they won't believe that. Because I'm talking about the ultimate truth. There was never any happiness or joy or satisfaction in any of those things. This is all drushti. Nitya ditti. And it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous because you get it, you, you know, it's, it becomes something that you can't live without. <clears throat> Ask yourselves how there are things that, you know, you lived without at, some, at one point in your life, but then something happened. Right? you got introduced to it, someone talked to you about it, you saw it on TV, you you went and had it, and then after that point, it just became something that you can't live without. Why is it so? If I ask you the question right now, right? Don't put your hand up, but virtually put your hand up. How many of you you are ready, at the count of three, to drop everything that you have, and come and live the life of an ordained monk or a nun? virtually don't put, don't really put your hand up <clears throat> if you tell me it's your children okay right you have duties you have responsibilities obligations that I'll understand right let's put children to a side what about some of the other things that you struggle to leave behind if you tell me it's my work and you know I am responsible for so many people I have to pay their wages I have to I have to look after them you know there are people who depend on me I will vouch that I will look after them I'll make sure they get paid you don't have to worry about it right I'll step in and involve get involved and make sure that they're all fed and they have you know uh, they're able to continue living their lives don't you worry now are you ready If I tell you from today onwards until the end of your life, no, let's not go that far, right? <laughs> One year on from today, all you're going to get is balsam, bowl, bowl and rice. Are you ready for that? <clears throat> if I tell you, no more phone, no more phones, no internet, no Facebook, no WhatsApp, no this, that and that, the other, no Instagrams, nothing. For one year. Are you ready for that? You should try that. Because sometimes people feel that they are ready for it. And then they come. You know, on some occasions, you have no idea, folks, how much of a struggle it is. For sometimes Anagarika Mahathya's. To give up on some of the things that they're attached to. They'll come up with all sorts of stories. <clears throat> all sorts of stories. But we are very understanding of that. Because we know that this is not an anagarika ke mahata. This is a mind. A mind which believes that happiness is in that. And therefore they're struggling to give it up. So what we do is not punish them, we slowly teach them that what you are looking for is not in there. By this point I think we have rehabilitated more than a handful of people who came to us and they were, they were doing drugs. We didn't go through any special detox, detoxification procedures. We didn't punish them or detain them or, you know, give them corporal punishment or anything like that. We didn't lock them up in rooms. All we said was, well, once you're here, you can't do it. Within our four walls, you can't do it. If you want to do it, you're going to have to go out and do it. But once you're here, you can't do it. What we tell them is not to stop doing that. What we do is we teach them the Dhamma. That is how we deal with addictions. We don't tell them stop watching TV. We teach them that what they are looking for is not in the TV. Then you don't have to ask them to stop. Just imagine you are looking in your pockets for something. Maybe you know your car keys, right? you're, you've got your hands in your pockets looking, where are my car keys? I'm sure I put them in my, in, my, in my pockets and you're looking around, you know, all your pockets and I tell them, it's not there, it's here. Are you going to continue looking for them in your pockets? Will I have to force you to stop it? Will I have to beg and plead you to stop it? No. Because the moment you realize what you are looking for is not where you are looking for it, you stop. Now you have to look at me and ask, why did you stop, Swami Why have you chosen the life of a monk? Why aren't you like us? Why did you give up your lay life? Why did you give up all the things that you enjoyed doing and the luxuries that you had? I enjoyed a good life. Now you have the answer. I realized that what I was looking for was not in them. Something that some of you are yet to realize. You can keep on looking for it but you won't find it. Therefore you will keep on looking for it this is a, this is a catch twenty two know it's, it's, it's the perfect riddle this is a perfect riddle you think it's in there but it's not there when do you stop looking for it when will you ever you will never that is why you have not stopped looking for happiness doing the day-to-day things that you have continued doing for the last 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. But you, forever you're hopeful. I will. One day I will. One day I will. Because there's no one to tell you otherwise. You're surrounded by people who keep telling you, no, no, you can, you can, you will, then you will. They will keep telling you that. Look, see, I have. They'll tell you, I have. You know, you'll see on TV a man who sat in a jacuzzi. Right? And that will be on, on TV. And if they talk about, you know, the luxury lifestyle, perhaps. He's in his jacuzzi. And, you know, on, in the advert they'll tell you, you know, successful people, this is the lifestyle that they live. So, someone looks at that and they think, one day I want to do that. And if you've got one at home, then you you got to ask, you know, how did that happen? Right? Someone told you that that was what makes you happy. So they got themselves one, yeah, they got themselves one, but did it stop there? No, then why did it move on to the next thing, it was the sauna? Why then the steam room? Why in the badminton court? Why in the bowling alley? Someone told me, now these days, you know, it's a big trend to have these massive mansions of like houses, they're not houses anymore, they're mansions like in the States particularly, you know, several millions of dollars worth, there are mansions, like, I mean, some of them are the size of palaces, they've got everything you could wish for, under one roof, they've got a bowling alley, they've got a, you know, they've got badminton courts, tennis courts, swimming pools, because, you know, this is what people believe is happiness. But remember, they are living in a dream world. In this dream world, they surround themselves with material success, but they never stop. They never stop looking for happiness, which is proof that none of those things ultimately gave them that happiness. But where do people ultimately stop? This is where they stop. This is where they stop. There is never a limit, is there, to worldly success? Hmm? Can you can you set a limit to worldly success? There's the richest man in the world, whoever he or she might be. Has he stopped? Will there not be another one after that, and another one after that, and then there, won't there always be a competition? You know, if you're the first, then you've got to maintain that. If you're the second, you've got to be the first. So there's always going to be that. So there's never an end to that. You know, it's like the carrot that's dangling in front of the donkey. But you've got to remember, if that's the carrot, then you're the... I won't say it. Forever hopeful. Forever... You know, this is wishful. I, I will. One day I will. One day I will. And then you just keep on moving forward. But remember that carrot is tied to a stick which is tied to your back. Therefore, every step you take forward, the carrot moves one step forward. <clears throat> and this is why, folks, when you come and ask us how, Swami Nuhansa, do we achieve happiness in our lives? What do we need to do, be, do to be happy? The only answer I can offer you is wake up. When you tell me someone else, I get angry. How do I control my anger? The only answer I can offer you is wake up. When you tell me I feel jealous sometimes, huh? I feel uh, I feel annoyed. I'm irritated. There are things that upset me and really take you know destroy my peace. What do I need to do? My answer is wake up. because all the things that you're talking about are creations of your own dream world this happens with jati so let's let's talk a little bit about that you have a family you have friends And in this family, you have your relations. These relations are related to you in the way that you understand it. So your grandmother is only your grandmother. For someone else, it is their daughter. For someone else, it is their niece. For someone else, it is their aunt. But when you look at them when you experience them right you for you it is there it is your grandmother so that this perception of a grandmother only exists in your world you create that world take a a, a really good example would be you know say if your uh, husband and wife for instance because you know the other relationships you could say they are biological There's a biological connection between people. Okay, but what about spouses? Where's the biological connection there? There's no biological connection. But when you have that relationship with someone, you feel that this is my partner. And you feel, you know, how far you go with these feelings, they can make you sad, can't they? They can make you sad. And they can make you happy. They can give you a heartache. You do that because you create that identity within your own mind. But the truth is, no such thing really exists outside. Husbands and wives, do they really exist outside? Girlfriends, boyfriends, do they exist outside? But what, do you know, understand what I mean by outside? Yeah, in, in, you know, in ultimate terms, in absolute terms, there is no such thing. It is something that you create in your own mental world. But you create it so much and so vividly that you don't stop at creating that connection, but you, you build that bridge and across that bridge come all sorts of grief, all sorts of sorrow and all sorts of pain. So, the question is, you know, why do that to yourselves? Why do that to yourselves? Now, you'll ask me, well, Swami Nansen, you know, I think it's a bit too late for that, isn't it? We are already, you know, a family. We are already, you know, siblings and so on. So, how would you suggest that we tackle with this problem? I have a very simple answer to that. Allow yourself to gradually understand the Dhamma. There is nothing that you need to force upon yourself. When you are ready, you will know you are ready. That is the nature of this truth. There is nothing that you need to do forcefully. So, for example, if you are a family man and you live a family life, right? there is no request or there is no need, there is no demand for you to change that. Continue living your life as you normally do. In the meantime, just allow this Dhamma to seep into your mind and let it, let it absorb it. Because, the, remember, one of the first talks we did in this series was Buddhism is not about letting go. Yeah? I think that was one of the, probably one of the best messages that I, I could have given to anyone. Buddhism is not about letting go. When people think that Buddhism is about letting go, they get dead scared of Buddhism. And some people will just completely shut off. I don't want to listen to these sermons or talks because the Swaminas are always talking about letting go. Buddhism is not about letting go. Once you understand the Dhamma, you realize that there is nothing to let go. So then there is nothing to let go. (laughs) Because there is nothing that actually belongs to you to let go. See, this pen, you can tell me that this pen is your pen. Okay, That is simply a convention, isn't it? Does the pen know that it belongs to you? Hmm? If you got swapped at the maternity ward with another child, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know, would you? You got stopped with another child at the maternity ward, you wouldn't know. But you came home and you thought that this was my mother, this was my father. Your parents didn't know, perhaps, but you but you won't feel nonetheless you, you won't feel any less that this is my mother, this is my father. Yeah? You won't feel it any less. But that is simply what you believe. It is not the truth. So if this pen you say is yours and you don't need that sense of belonging for the pen to work, it will still write whether it's yours or not yours. And if pens are in this world simply to write, then you don't need to let go of this. It is not yours to let go. It is not yours to let go. That is what we understand in Buddhism. Coming to this understanding that all you are is simply a body and mind, and again, that's not a fixed body or a mind, right? That is a manifestation at any given moment in time, and it's this manifestation that we see. You know, this is what we see. This is, these are all manifestations. But there is something called a jati that also manifests. That is also a manifestation, and when that happens, we go into this dream world. So you see, uh, a prutagjana. Someone who has no, has has never listened to the Dhamma, has not understood the Buddha's Dhamma, is, you know, someone like this. Eyes shut. You know, one day they get to listen to the Dhamma, and they open their eyes for the first time. But they don't keep it open all the time. It will close again. So they'll still feel sleepy. Hmm? But once they've seen the light, they've seen the light. That is called a stream enter or a sotakand. This is what I'm asking you to do to awake to wake up. Yeah, that will happen one day for the first time. Now imagine in your dream world, this is your dream world, your know, eyes shut. Now as a jana, you see all those nightmares, the sweet dreams as well as the bad dreams, right? And now you're trying to run away from the bad dreams, you're running towards the sweet dreams, and then one day someone taps you on the shoulder and you go. Where do you run there? Where do you run? What What do you scream? What do you ask for? Nothing. All your problems have come to a stop. But you'll feel sleepy still. And then your eyes will close again. Again it will close. And once you close again, again you resume your dream. Right? But again you'll open them. But now you know that there is such a thing as being awake. That only needs to happen once. But again, your eyes will still keep closing. right? But the time that it remains closed will reduce. This is what we call Yonis of Manasikara. For as long as you are in the state of Yonis of Manasikara, in other words, seeing the truth as it really is, during that time, you are awake. And none of the eleven great fires come to you at that point. The eleven great fires are the nightmares that you see in your dream world. <clears throat> I was talking to some of our Anagarika Mathias the other day, I saw them working in the monastery and I gave them a really good piece of advice. Is that okay for me to say it myself? <laughs> I didn't intend to come, for it to come, come, come up that way, That's just the way it came out. So I'm a very humble person. <laughs> I was telling them, you know, when you when you're working, right, they, they they were asking me the question, so I'm in answer, you know, we we like to help out at the monastery and do as much work as we possibly can for the sake of merits, and I know and we know that it helps us to attain our nirvana. So, what advice do you have for us? So I said, the best advice I can give you, if you want to engage in these meritorious deeds and, and, you know, work hard and and, and do all those things. One of the best things you can do is practice the path. So he asked me why? Why is practicing the path the answer to this? Why is it not just doing more work? Isn't that how we get better at this? So I said, when you go into your dream, in other words, when jhati happens in the mind, Any physical pain that you experience, so the body gets tired when you work, yeah, obviously. Any physical pain that you experience is multiplied. Because this pain is not just pain, this is now my pain. This is my pain. Absolutely. 75% of this pain is actually my pain. But when you practice the path, Right, this jati, the, 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 the problem here, starts to diminish. Right, and jati is attacked every time you are in Yonisam Manasikara and practicing the path. And then, every time you, you continue doing that, this reduces. This jati reduces, and it comes to a point where you are left with simply the pain. And not the feeling of, it is I who is in pain. So, then, an Arahant can do four times as much work as you can. With the same body. He can work four days straight. Whereas you can only do one. Because whenever you feel pain, you feel that it is you who is in pain. You know, I can't think of any better treatment to give to someone who is in pain. You know people who are in, in serious pain, like chronic pain conditions. Like, right? now, My father is one of them. He's going through a hard time these days. He's having a lot of physical pain. So, the best medicine I can offer him is the Dhamma. Every time I talk to him, I I try and help him understand that this is simply pain and it's not pain that's happening to you. I'm really impressed by how much he's able, he's managed to, to, to be able to, you know, get on top of it. My father is not who he used to be. A while ago. He's improved. A lot. Today he's able to, you know, I know he's, he's in a lot of pain. But he's able to say, you know, so I'm not, I understand it's just pain now. I experience it, but I don't personalize it. No, I don't personify it. I don't internalize it. It's just pain. It's one thing to say it, but it's one thing to really understand it. That understanding is what we are trying to give here. You know, this is the real pain killer. You have pain relievers out there, but if you want a real painkiller, this is the painkiller. It kills the pain. 75% of all pain that you experience is when you feel that it is you who is in pain. So whether it's a backache or a headache or a toothache, one of the best things you can do when you are in pain is try and get into your own It's difficult when you are in pain, but if you can do it, It's one of the best painkillers there is. How so? Well, the Buddha has explained how. Because jati pachya, jara, marana, shoka, parideva, dukkha. Yeah? What is dukkha? Dukkha is the personal identification of physical pain. That is because of jati. So an arahant is also in physical pain, but not the mental pain that he that you and I might create out of the physical pain. So the same goes for all the other things. Now you need to understand, I I think now you're all in a position to understand how jati leads to sorrow. What is sorrow after all? Then let's take a... When... Okay, this. You lose it. Typical response is sorrow. That's why children cry when they lose something. That's why people, you know, children, young children, old children, all sorts of children, they all cry when they lose things. Why? Because they feel that they have lost something that belongs to them. Have you ever cried because someone lost something that belonged to them? No. We cry when we lose something that belongs to us. When do you moan? You are in mourning when you lose someone, you know, a a beloved, a loved one. Whose loved one? Your loved one. So you see, when you begin to understand that these are all creations in this dream world. In your dream world you have aunts and uncles and cousins and nephews and nieces and and husbands and wives. You know, these are all creations of the dream world. You will forever be in mourning. How many people are attached to you and connected to you? You know, there's a funeral coming for each and every one of them. That is undeniable, right? Either you have to tell, say goodbye to each and every one of them, or you say goodbye to all of them at once. How does that happen? When is your time to go? Isn't it? You know, we live life without preparing ourselves for the inevitable end. The best thing to do, apparently, is just to forget and not talk about it until it comes. Because it's, you know, you shouldn't talk about it. Death is not something you should talk about. No, death is what we should talk about. Not that death. Not body breaking death. I'm talking about death because of jati. <clears throat> I hope at this point you know you've all come to some understanding of what I mean by jati. Yeah? We've been coming along this path for a while. Now I do see a few fresh faces, new faces in the audience, but I hope you understand what I mean by jati here. This is this sense of self. Yeah, the sense of that you are an identity. You are separate from all sentient beings, you are a person, you know, your name is yours, your title is yours, your profession is yours, you know, you are you. There is that identity, that, that feeling of a self that we are talking about as Jati. See when that happens, you have now created you have now separated a portion of this world for yourself. You and yourself. Me and my family. Me and my, you know, my, my children. Me and my, my country. Me and my village. Me and my school. Me and my workplace. All these things are there when you are there. So this separation, for as long as it happens in your mind, you will, there is no way out of the 11 great fires that you experience. Now I know for certain that you are all here because you, you, you suffer in life. Isn't that why you are all here? Or you just didn't have anything better to do on a Saturday? Hmm? Put your hand up if you are here for any other reason than I suffer in my life, Swami Nasa. I have pains in my life. I have grievances in my life. I have fear in my life. I have sorrow in my life. There are things that don't go to plan and you know, it annoys me, frustrates me bothers me. Keeps me up at night. That's why I'm here. Help me. Isn't that why you're all here? Each and every one of you. Well, I'm telling you, there's one reason for all that. This is the panacea. There's one reason for all that. The one reason for all that is that you are still asleep. You identify yourself you separate yourself from everything else and once that separation happens you form these connections, these bridges with things that happen in the outside world. You know, this is due to break. It's meant to break. There are causes that brought this together meaning at one point, you know, these causes will disperse and this will eventually break. It's meant to be like that. Why is it a problem to you? It becomes a problem to you when this becomes yours. Bodies are meant to break. You know, they talk about impermanence. Impermanence, yes, but impermanence is not the problem. So understanding impermanence is not the answer to this. (coughs) Impermanence is just, you know, that's just characteristic of all sentient things, all conditioned things. This is impermanent. Yeah, okay, fair enough. So, understanding that is not going to get you to stop suffering. Impermanence, your sense of self, when these two things come come together, Now you have a recipe for disaster. Because when you separate something in this world, you want it to be that way. But that is not the nature of conditioned things. They say, all things shall perish. Understand that. Come to terms with it. Come to terms with it. it is not the answer. You know, oftentimes I, I talk with people, you know, uh, and, and, and <clears throat> my parents used to tell me this, but now they no longer say that. Right? I used to ask them, how does one train themselves to, you know, face the vicissitudes of life and, and, and be, be ready for those challenges? So what they used to say was, you've got to understand that one day we all die. Understanding that you come to terms with it and then you'll be okay with it. Show me one man who's done that who's come to terms with it so basically what they're saying is you got to accept death you got to accept that all things will pass i think we all accepted that at grade, you know in grade 5 when we understood you know basic science and how all things that come together will one day pass away i think we accepted that we were not, in no doubt that things will pass away you are in no doubt that all things that come together will one day perish, there is no doubt about that. So what more do you have to come to terms with it? How much more do you have to come to terms with that? It's not that. The problem is not that. The problem is, inside here, inside here, you have a very, you have a fixed perception of things. And because of that fixed perception, Now, you're always trying to tally that with what you see in the outside. This conflict is what brings you pain. This conflict is what brings you pain. Now, you understand, of course, that people die. But that understanding itself is not enough to get this to diminish. That is not what will get you there. It's understanding that this was never possible. This is simply an illusion. Let me try and put it in simpler words. When expectations go to plan, you are happy. When expectations don't go to plan, you say, I am disappointed so a disappointment is an expectation not going to plan right it's people will always talk about how things will you know they'll arise and they'll pass away right that has always been there you didn't need the Buddha to come and teach you that so don't fall for that trap if people say Buddha came here to came into this world to teach about This impermanent nature that all things will come and all things will pass, I think people figured that just as well before the Buddha and without his help. That all things were impermanent. People died before that, buildings collapsed before that, worlds destroyed before that, right? Trees died, destruction was, you know, everywhere. So everyone understands that people grow old, they, they fall ill and they die. That is not the Buddha's message. What the Buddha teaches us is we have an expectation that things will be a certain way on the outside. That also you don't need the Buddha to teach you. Because I think you all know that. I have an expectation. Okay? What you need help with is how do you stop expecting? It's not simply enough to say don't expect. Because if that, were simply, if, if that were enough, then we, we can just have a two-minute chat and say, thank you very much for coming, goodbye, right? Don't expect, okay? From today onwards, don't, don't expect. Yeah? You know, it's as simple as that, just flick in a switch, don't expect. So there's an expectation switch in your, <laughs> you can just flick it. You can't not stop expecting because you don't know why expectation happens. Expectation is a a product of causes. So if you want to stop expectations, you need to understand how expectations happen and then deal with those causes. When those causes are dealt with, then the results will be dealt with on their own, you don't need to deal with them. So what are the causes of this expectation? You expect things to be a certain way, that is what an expectation is, something to be a certain way, whether it's an object or a person or an event, right? I, I expect it to rain tomorrow, that is also an expectation, not a person or a thing but simply an event, a natural incidence. I expect you to greet me when I see you. I expect you to say thank you when I give you something. I expect you to arrive on time. I expect you to stay awake in service. These are all expectations. When we set an expectation, an expectation is Now, bear with me. I'm I'm trying to get this in words that will make sense to virtually all of you. Okay? An expectation is where you have I need both hands for this. Where you have a set configuration of this world where you have a picture of how things need to be. This is a separation. You have isolated a certain configuration from all other configurations. So there's a certain arrangement in this world that you have fixed or say separated, I think separated would be a better word, you have a certain configuration of how things happen, this is natural phenomenon, in this world that you have separated and you have, you, you, you want it to be that way. Once you do that, now this becomes an expectation. So really, what I'm try, I think what I am trying to get across to you is what is an expectation? You know, we are trying to put an, what an expectation is on, onto the analytical table. And we are, we are, we are trying to understand the anatomy of an, of an expectation. What is the anatomy of an expectation? We know the causes. We know attachment causes, expectation and so on. But what I'm trying to show you is, you know, through the electron microscope, right, what is an expectation? An expectation is a defined configuration of things. And that thing could be physical things it could be material things it could be events it could be absolutely well anything i have to use the word thing it's a it's a it's a set configuration now <clears throat> let's take uh, i'll say i'll take this example you understand that this is a beetle leaf right When I do this, you'll tell me that this is half a beetle leaf, yeah? And you'll tell me that if I put these two together, one against one next to the other, you have an image of what is right and what is wrong. If I ask you the simple question, which one's right, which one's wrong? Which one looks wrong to you? You can't help You can't help. This is not something you do intentionally. You can't help but telling me that this is the wrong one. Because this seems right to you. This seems right to you because you have an expectation. You have a certain configuration of what a beetle leaf looks like. If I put this back together like this and said, that? how is that now? You say, oh, that's okay. What about this then? Oh, what about this? That's still a whole beetle leaf. This is no less an entire beetle leaf than this. Isn't it? This is a whole, an entire beetle leaf as much as this is. It's the same two parts, clearly. Right? But if I ask you which one's right? This is right or that is right? You can't help yourself from having an answer. It just, it's there inside you. You can't stop it. You can't stop feeling that way. This is what I mean by you have a separate configuration of how things need to be and ought to be in this world. That is a separation. And once that separation happens, now you set expectations based on that. That is why when I start tearing this, you feel that I am. I'm causing chaos in this world. Don't you feel that? See? Chaos. This is the sound of chaos. You feel that I'm destroying something, haven't I just destroyed something? That's how you feel. You can't stop yourself from feeling that way, that is the problem. I promise you, I'll I'll show you how you can stop feeling that way. So that this is okay. Completely okay. Absolutely okay. This is okay. While it was all together, that was okay. I, I can show you how this can be as okay as this. I promise you. Come along. I'll get you there. I'll take you there. Because my teacher takes me there. So I know how to get there. When we follow this path, this will be as okay as this and this will be as okay as this. You can tear this up into smithereens and it will still be okay. Now substitute this with absolutely anything in your world. Isn't this what you are trying to be? You are trying, you know, I asked you the question, why are you all here? You are all here folks because you are still not okay when this happens in your world. You are not okay with that. Substitute this with anything else. Children. Hmm? Yeah, that one. And that one. Yes, and that one. That as well. You are okay with this. But this upsets you. (coughs) Because there is a configuration that you are okay with. And there is a configuration you are not okay with. So therefore, this is what you expect. And when expectations are threatened, now you are, you know, all hell breaks loose inside. Fear comes to you. Grief comes to you. Sorrow comes to you. Lamentation comes to you. Frustration comes to you. Annoyance comes to you. And sleepless nights come to you. How cool would it be if these two you could see in the same way? I don't mean see physically. This is obviously smaller than this. This is only a part of this. But I mean feelings wise. Emotionally, if these two could be perceived in exactly the same way, now you're a free man. Because remember, this is going to be your mother one day. And this will happen to her. Hmm? This is your husband. This will happen to him. If this is your wife, this will happen to him. This is your car. This will happen to it. You're not ready for it. Not yet. I'm here to show you how you can see these two things the same way. The problem here, you see this as a separate thing to this. You don't see this as one and the same. You don't see this as a state or a state in an ever-changing flux. This was always meant to be like this. And this is meant to be like this. Remember we played with the Scrabble the other day? And I took some letters out and I asked you, tell me when to stop. Remember? There we had those letters on the, on, the, on the rack. And I asked you, when do you want me to stop? So you had in your mind certain words. They were, they were, they were defined, predefined. So when those words were played, you said, yeah, that's the word I wanted. But I showed you that's not the word I was going to play. (coughs) Meaning, this hasn't stopped. This hasn't stopped happening. But you have a frame. Ah, that's a good way to put it. What's that? Thank you. What's that? Hmm? The sea? Sunset? Sunset or sunrise, whichever. Hmm? Which one is it actually? Is it sunset or sunrise? You know, eventually this will if this is a sunrise, this will rise up And it will eventually come back down, right? Okay? Here's what we do. We frame this. Okay? We frame it. And now once you framed it, this is a snapshot in time. Okay? This is a snapshot in time. Once you have a snapshot in time, this is a fixed instance of a cycle. Yeah. This is a fixed instance of a cycle. Now, you read the world, you interpret the world with reference to this. So, you'll tell in a, in a little while, if this is, you know, say uh, the sunrise. You'll say after a while, okay, now it's noon. You're saying it's noon now because you're talking... In reference to sunrise. But sunrise was never meant to be framed. You framed it. And the sunset is never meant to be framed. You framed it. So now, after about six, seven hours, the sun will be up here. Let's say. Now you'll say that it was morning earlier and now it's afternoon. Okay? You'll say it was morning earlier and now it's the afternoon. In another part of the world it'll be morning. In another part of the world it'll be night. So, which one is it then? Morning, morning, afternoon or night. It all depends on your frame of reference. It was never meant to be morning nor night nor afternoon. Your frame of reference is what you use to measure over a passage of time so this is where the concept of time comes in. Over a passage of time what happens in the real world. That's why we've always been talking to you about time being an illusion. You know, things don't happen at certain times. Things happen when the causes are there. We've talked about this so many times times, in in previous talks. Now, remember the pen dropping? Hmm? I asked you at what time does the pen drop? The pen doesn't drop at any particular time. The pen drops when I move my fingers apart. You can give it a time if you want, but that is in reference to something else. This time, so our sermon has to stop at 9.30 in reference to what? In reference to the earth rotating around the sun, or around itself, sorry. If it stops here, then you you can't tell time. When people find somewhere somehow, some other way to do it at the time, right? Because really, they, you know, when when you have pinned something, when you have framed something, when you have framed something in a sequence of events, okay. Once you have framed something in a sequence of events, now you have reference points to talk about. You know, people want something to say about something. <laughs> That's what we're here for, right? People want to talk about things. They want want something to say about something. Because that is what the mind does. The mind is always interpreting what's going on outside. So, therefore, when things happen, you know, things have to be said about them. There was never meant to be morning or day or night. What was meant to be? This is happening. Once you frame it, Now you have that frame of reference and then based on your frame of reference you say, so many hours have passed since then, so many hours to then. This is when, so this is what happens when you talk about, see, this used to be and now it's this. This was the past and this is the present. You know, I, I show you another leaf but imagine I was able to go back in time and show you the original leaf as it was, right? Then you tell me the leaf that existed the, the complete, entire the whole leaf that existed has now been torn apart. And now you tell me that this is the current state of what used to be. You're framing. That is why you say it is now noon compared to morning. That is what you're talking about. Compared to, compared to the morning, it's now noon. And compared to morning, it's now night. But that's not what's really going on. Now this is how, you know, you feel you have aged. See, I'm, I'm trying to show you the connection and join join the dots, folks. This will take a few sermons, I, I, I tell you, right? I don't expect all of you to walk out of here enlightened. Because I'm trying to explain to you a concept which I've never come across explained in English before so I've not I can't I don't know the words to use on some occasions to get this across to you but I'll keep on trying and you keep on trying on your side we'll get there eventually okay Uh, you don't know the battle I'm going through right now (laughs) because you can't see it I'm really struggling here I know what I want to say I'm trying to find the words in which to say it so that you can understand exactly what I mean because this is so subtle it's not difficult but it's very subtle, it's like threading a needle. Not difficult. Your young child can do it, but you need to have a real clear vision to do it. It's very subtle. So bear with me. You feel that you are aging. You feel that. So let's just keep it simple. You feel you are aging. Because when you go and stand in front of the mirror, so perhaps you, have, you see grey hair. Okay? And you say that I have aged. You say you've aged in reference to what? Yeah. So, many years ago, you started aging, you'll say. From the day I was born, I have aged, and you tell me that I'm now, you know, say, 40 years old. So, for 40 years, who's been aging? I've been aging. I've been aging for 40 years. And this is the 40 years version of me. As a matter of fact, that is not what has happened. What has really happened is, at every given moment, there are causes that have come together to manifest what you see in front of the mirror right now. The pen. I'm going to hold this up in the air for three seconds. One. 2, 3, and drop, Okay. So think about what I just did there. At t equals 1, it was up here. At t equals 2, it was also up here. And at t equals 3, it was also up here. You will tell me that it was up here for 3 seconds. And then you will tell me, I held it for 3 seconds. If at T equals 1 it was up here and at T equals 2 it was up here and it was the same reason that it was up here then at T equals 3 I won't be able to drop it. At every instance there are causes that are keeping it up here. So the energy that was given at T equals 1 is not the energy that's keeping it up here at T equals 2. It's a separate, say, a packet or a quantum of energy. A separate quantum of energy, a separate packet of energy. I don't want to make this a physics lesson, but you understand the concept I'm trying to get across to you here. Each instance is a standalone instance of its own. Not dependent or not reliant, not connected to the previous event. Hmm. It does. Let me tell you how it does. White hair, so black hair got white, right? And then white hair became soil. It became ashes. Then it became soil. Then it became coconut. Hmm? Then it became pozambol. Then it went into your body. Then it became protein. Then it became keratin. Now it's black hair. See, white hair became black. a good question the gentleman asks. The reason that we see that it was black hair that became white is because we have framed it. What we don't see is this cycle. We have framed this. If we keep moving the frame now we always have a different part of the story to talk about. But we keep our frame static and we say this young child has now grown, is now aged and soon he will die. Oh, I will lose my child. That is how black hair became white but white hair doesn't seem to become black again. But it does. So this is what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, Now, I'm trying to get across to you why that happens. Why does this framing happen? Okay? Because now we understand that there's a framing going on. But why does that happen? (coughs) This framing happens because we have this need that the mind always wishes to separate. So, when the mind puts on this separation projector, right, with a desire to always see separate entities, separate things, separate structures and separate objects, now it can't help but framing. So, human life is a separate thing. This is how people talk about uh, you know, the, the soul. And, and maybe, you know, it was a, a human being that died and then he went on to become a god and then he went he died and then went on to become a, a monkey. The monkey died and went on to become a parrot. And, you know, what are we doing here? Separation. Really what happened was simply a, a, a change in a flux in energy. Now, the configuration, yes, takes a different manifestation to each other. So I am not talking about the outside change, I am talking about how we perceive that. It is that perception that brings us all this pain. That is why, if you are able to understand what I just explained earlier, about how the grey hair becomes black again, at no point will you cry that your mother has died. Because then you understand, you can take it in one or two ways you will tell me, well, my mother's going to come back anyhow again. <laughs> yeah? But, I mean, that I was just jesting. But the, the truth is, there wasn't really a mother there that died. It was simply the mind, a mind and body. But that mind and body work in unison. They work in, in perfect harmony. That because the mind is dependent on the body, the body is dependent on the mind, there are causes that are you know they, these are interconnected causes and they, and they work in unison at one point right the, the causes that brought that body in that, that shape that manifestation they disperse, and therefore that body no longer works in that way but that 's not to say there was the same mind that went throughout it was each mind instance remember the mind simply serves its purpose it 's here to do its business. That's the mind. That's another one. But they're both happening in the same body. Now again, it's not the same body. <laughs> because what is here is at, at this moment, it's a manifestation. It's when we pin it or frame it, we say it's the same body. It's the same mind. It's the same person and so on. That is that reference. So, you know the water cycle rain right go into the oceans and then the sun evaporates yeah and then clouds and rain just to keep it very simple we understand the water cycle okay When we talk about this cycle, we can, we can frame certain parts of this cycle and talk about that specific part. So, for instance, we can frame this part. We can frame that part separately. When we frame this part, we say it's raining. If you only saw this part, you'd ask the question why does water only fall to the, to, the, to the earth? why doesn't water rise back up into the sky? why is it always that way? why not reverse?" <laughs> you'd ask me that question if you only focused on this part that we have framed in this cycle and the, 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 the of course the other as well the, 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 the counterpart of that you'll ask me if you only focus on that part why is it that water only rises through the sky as As evaporated water, why does it never fall back into the ground? Well, it does, but for that, you have to look at the bigger picture. Now, here is a drop of water that I got from this cycle, okay, so please imagine this is a drop of water. Is this rain water, or is it evaporated water, or is it sea water? which one huh? Where did I get this from? <laughs> is this rainwater? Is this drinking water? Huh? Oh, is this evaporated water? Where is it, where is it, what is this water? water? It's just water. You can't tell me which water this is because it, you know, throughout this cycle, depends on where you framed it. It is only then you can answer that. Can you answer that question? That is why I said your frame of reference. Is what gives you meaning to this world. Is how you interpret what's going on in this world. Today you say, This is my mother. You know, at some point, if you, if you drew that, the cycle of this thing, this person you call your mother, no, that was, that's your daughter. At some other point, that was your worst enemy. At some other point, it was your aunt, your, your grandfather, your kitten. Now you see you now you're beginning to see a bigger connection of how all things are interconnected. See, with this understanding of, of how the how all this works, I I don't think I, I need to convince you much further to help you understand that you know we are all interconnected and you know when we transfer marriage to our ancestors, those who have predeceased us, right, and previous births, you know. That's why I, I, I never wanted to answer that question, you know. Prove that in other births exist, reincarnation exists. I don't need to. The problem is, you know, when people, people ask this question about does reincarnation actually exist, this rebirth actually, exist? they're talking about a specific person. Will my mother die and be born again? <laughs> Your mother was never to die <laughs> to be born again. There is Nama and Rupa. Name and form, which are also simply manifestations at any given time, that is all that is happening. You can call it mother if you want. You can call it daughter if you want. If that's, how you, that's what makes you feel happy, then call it mother. If that's what makes you feel happy, then, you know, float your boat. Fine. But the truth is, there's simply energy that is working to manifest. Name and form. At one point name becomes form. At one point form becomes name. And remember name is not like a label name. We are talking about Nama. Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vijnana. And form being Rupa. Rupa becomes Vedana. Vedana becomes Sanya. Sanya becomes Rupa again. Rupa becomes Sankara again. Sankara becomes Vijnana, Because this is all this energy. So when do we talk about this? When we frame things. Now, I come back finally to the point of why do we frame? Now, if if much of this has just gone like that, it's okay. Okay? So, this is the first time I'm trying to, uh, I've attempted to explain this uh, in English. And I've, I, unfortunately, I don't have any reference to go and find out how this sort of thing gets explained in English to to, to try and, you know, do a better job. So, you're going to have to bear with me while I try and find the right words. Okay? So, if not much has made sense, it's okay because we'll talk about it in future talks, in sermons as well. But the last point I want to mention at this point is, you will still be remaining with the question why then do we frame? Because if framing is what does this and then mother is alive, now mother is dead. Oh, what happened to my mother, now she's dead. See, this is the sorrow I'm, I'm trying to draw a reference here, this is an analogy. Like rainwater from the sky falls into the ground as rain. This is a transition that you have witnessed. Live mother, dead mother, transition. Okay? But that causes you sorrow. That gives you grief. Then the problem is you're complaining about your mourning about it because you don't see this part. There's a cycle that is that is in, in, in work here at work here. So then why do we frame this? We frame this because the mind constantly wishes for that separation. It's always trying to identify a separation. separation. It wants to feel separate. It wants to identify a separation. That is why (coughs) you all feel, ladies and gentlemen, that you are separate individuals. That you are an identity. You are a personal identity and you are separate from everybody else. That's why you don't feel that you and the person sat next to you are one and the same. But it's the same stuff. You will tell me, yes, it's the same molecules, the same hydrogen, the same carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, it's all the same stuff, but this is my hydrogen, that is her hydrogen. You still feel that way. That's why when someone you know, touches you, you go, why do you touch me? Why do you touch me? Step away. Why did you you step on my foot? You feel that. You feel that anger. See, now you are beginning to understand how all these emotions come into the the picture. The mind is not meant to be emotional. The mind has no purpose being emotional. The mind's job is simply to perceive. It perceives Vedana, which is feeling. But Vedana is different to emotion. Emotion is a product of Jati. Vedana of feeling is, you know, there is pleasurable feeling, physically. Pleasurable feeling. Unpleasurable feeling. That's called pain. Equanimous feeling. All mental feelings are supposed to be equanimous. That is how an arahant feels. So really, there are six feelings in all. That's not six, that's six. There are six feelings in in total. Let me tell you what they are. One, I'm talking about an arahant now. Okay? Pain. An arahant experiences pain. This is an unpleasurable physical feeling. There's pleasurable physical feeling. An arahant experiences that, no problem. All other feelings to an arahant is equanimous. upeksha Sadhu. Free of expectation and therefore there's no pleasure and there's no mental, mental suffering. So free of that. So those are the three feelings an Arahant would experience. So what are the other three then? The other three are reserved for non-Arahants. What are they? Pleasurable feelings, you know, the things that you experience when you have that ice cream. Pleasurable feeling. Unpleasurable feeling, when you are feeling angry, sad, disappointed, frustrated and so on. And then there is also another type of equanimous feeling, which is different to the Arahant's equanimous feeling. That is a state of vexation. So a state of vexation, relief from vexation, and further pain when that vexation has not been relieved. So it's like, if this was a band put around your, put around your, uh, your wrist or your waist, uh, sorry, your, your hand, Right? when I do that, when I crush, that is unpleasurable. When I relieve, that is pleasurable. But at the point, I'm just holding it like that. Right? You, can, you can imagine that to be an equanimous feeling. Okay? I am still studying how I can better explain this equanimous feeling to you because this and this is, makes perfect sense. Okay? So those are the three feelings that a non-arahant would feel in addition to both of course physical pain and pleasure. That is also available to non-arahants. But an arahant will only feel those three things. So those are the six feelings in all. They are feelings, they are not emotions. Emotions are things that happen with jati. Now, when I talked about the three feelings that a uh, uh, non-anahanta experiences, that, that vedana, that leads to emotion. So, where in the faricha you have, uh, sankar, pachya, namrupa, salaitana, vedana, and then tanna, then upadana, power, and jati. Vedana there leads to jati. And once Jati happens, now you have emotion. So Jati, Pachya and all the rest that happens. Jara, Marana, Shoka, Parideva, Dukkha, Domana. These are all emotions. So these all emotions are connected with those three types of Vedana. What Vedana? The pleasurable Vedana, unpleasurable Vedana and the equanimous Vedana, which is different to the Arahant's equanimous Vedana. That's a heavy lesson in Abhidhamma, but what I was trying to get to us, really, the, the, the long and short of that is, the mind has no place for emotion. But we talk a lot about emotions, you know, and, and the whole world is built on emotions, isn't it? Romance and <coughs> uh, fear and all of these are emotions. And, you know, people wouldn't be able to survive without emotions. But emotions are, there's no place for emotions with, with a mind that has, that has been tamed. Why do you feel emotion? You feel emotion because the world that you build for yourself, this dream world, when things happen in the dream world, that's when you become emotional. So fear is something that happens in the dream world. Lust is something that happens in the dream world. Sensual desires are something that happen in the dream world. They're not for real. So when you wake up from that world, just like the nightmare of being uh, chased being chased by a tusker, right? the nightmare of being chased by a tusker, the fear that comes with that is all gone, just like that, the moment you wake up. Right? The moment you wake up from jati, or at least temporarily, when that jati subsides, at the anuse matram, at the anuse level, even if it subsides to that level, at that moment, you become emotionless. Now, Conventionally, people will think, oh, that's, that's a terrible way to be, isn't it? To be emotionless. We, are we supposed to be like robots? People will ask you that question. That is because they feel that, you know, emotion is the most important thing and it is emotion that they all, that, that is the, you know, the, the be all and end all of everything. Because when people talk about emotion, they feel about affection and love and caring and all these things that people think, you know, that is what people survive on. This is the food that keeps people alive. Emotion, isn't it? You know, a man cannot live without love. But that's because a man wishes to be recognized. That is because a man wishes to feel that he is special. Belonging, yeah. And all that is because the mind is not strong enough. The mind is weak. And the mind is in, in in a nightmare. Right? So, long story short, what I was trying to talk to you today about was, in this nightmare of a world that we live in, you will experience all the 11 great fires. Those 11 great fires will come as pain and on other occasions it will come as pleasure. Right? You will feel, you will feel anger and you will feel relief. You will feel uh, sensual desire and you will feel Uh, disappointment, and frustration. All of these things are things that happen in this dream world that you are in. It is time to wake up. To wake up, you need to understand how this dream comes about. You know, to stop falling asleep, you just need to understand how sleep happens. You know, why does one become sleepy? How does sleep happen? If you can figure out how sleep happens, now you can reverse engineer it, and then stop sleep from happening. That's how, sleep, you know, that's how you do it, right? So, you know, that, for instance, that's why you take a coffee, perhaps, if you're feeling sleepy. Because you know that there are certain chemicals in the body, and if you, if you, if you make a chemical balance, uh, an adjustment in the chemical chemistry of the body, now, you know, sleep can, be, uh, can either be delayed, or, you know, that it can be avoided for a certain period of time. So, in the same way, this falling asleep or going into Ionis manasikaran, Manasikara, is when all these nightmares start to happen. So there will be a day in your life where when things happen around you, you can be free of suffering. The inevitable, I cannot stop from happening. As I said, if you are connected to 10 people that you love and dote on in this world, I can't stop their demise. I can't stop them getting cancer. I can't stop them from falling ill or dying. That I cannot stop. I can't stop your, your world falling apart. I can't stop the next bad news that is meant to come to you. Perhaps today you'll get a phone call to say such and such has happened to so and so. And I can't stop that from happening. The only thing I can help you do is to perceive that in the right way. For that you just need to wake up. When you frame your world, when you frame Things, the natural phenomena in the world because of your need for separation right? all these 11 great fires the misery that has happened in your life will continue to happen so the only thing you need to do is to listen to the Dhamma allow it to be absorbed I, I know you can't, you can't force fully understand it, you, you can't force yourself to understand the Dhamma, your merits will help you to understand the Dhamma and being here will help you to understand the Dhamma Listening to the Dhamma will help you understand the Dhamma, and also what you have, whatever you have understood, trying to reflect on that. That practice is very important. And of course, you know our Swami nurses are here. You get the afternoon sessions and all that. All of that is, you know, really, really useful stuff. Do make use of them. I, I urge you to do, to do that. Whatever you have understood today, you know, any bits that you struggled with, or maybe just need a little bit more clarification, make use of those those opportunities. They'll help you with that. This is the truth that will set you free. (laughs) This is all I have to give you. And after all, this is all you need from me. You don't need anything else from me. I have nothing else to give you. And there is nothing else you need from me either. I just want you all to be free. Free from whom? Free Free from yourselves. Free from yourselves. So fight for your freedom. But not with anyone else. You need all to be freedom fighters. Seek that freedom from yourself. That is all you need to do. Ignorance is the whole point. Ignorance is the reason you are all suffering. Nothing else. Nobody else is causing you this pain. Your ignorance is causing you this pain. Come out of that ignorance. And wisdom is what you need. To give you that wisdom, we give you the Dhamma. Okay. Have a think about you know, why children, I talked about, I touched briefly on that subject of children because, you know, there are some parents in the house and maybe two-be parents in the house, right, and when you have children, you know, please understand that perhaps the conventional methods that we have all come to use and come to know to, to bring up children and to, you know, get them to the right thing, the reasons it do, they don't work is because you're setting a bad example for them. You're telling them not to do things and then you're doing it with a smile on your face. You don't do the things that you want them to do. Hmm? You don't do your homework and you expect them to do their homework. So that's just a a, a side thing, but something that might might be useful, if not for you, maybe someone listening online. Alright, let us take a moment to transfer the merits and bring today's sermon to a close. Okay. Let us take a moment then to transfer the merits that we have all acquired. By making offerings to the infinite virtues of the noble Triple Gem, chanting Pirit, listening to the Dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds today, first and foremost let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching, and with immense gratitude let us transfer these merits to the Bhikkhus and Bhikkunis, Upasakas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us transfer the mess we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries, who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us transfer these mess to Guru Swami Nuhansi as well as all the teachers, resident at the monastery, Anagarikas and Anagarika communities adjust to the monastery. Let's take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these talks, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them and may through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woful plains, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain, may through the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and may they all attain the supreme bliss of nibbāna. Sada, sada, sada. Let us take a moment to transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, and to those who, for the sake of merits, continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who contributed to the construction of the monastery to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who extend their well-wishes and their know-how. May, it, to the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfil the meritorious deeds, fulfil the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of nibbana. Sadh Sarv, Sarv. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to our mothers, fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers, employees, and to all those who have helped us, supported us and assisted us along the way. By the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadh Sadh Sad. Let us take a moment to transform to the Devas and Raknas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sama Sasana. Let us transform to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may by the power of these maids they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, may they prosper in divine power and wisdom and attain the supreme bliss of Nibban. Sadh Sadh Sad. Let us take a moment to transmit to our ancestors who have predeceased us and to all those who have been families, friends and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in samsara and to those who have helped, supported and assisted us along the way. Let us minister to the members of the armed forces as well as the members of the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nations. And may all those who have lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, rejoice in the merits we have acquired today. Let us transmit us to those who have lost their lives in natural calamities such as the tsunamis, earthquakes, landslides, pandemics. Reminding ourselves and among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey in samsara. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to them, and may by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfil the meritorious deeds, fulfil the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbara. Let us all resolve that may, by the power and blessings of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, We'll be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may by the power of all the meds we have acquired throughout the day, you and I, and everyone who's helped make this program a success, become an Arahatan Nuhansi, an Arahata Terenin in this very life itself, and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sad, sad, sad. May the blessings of the noble Chittajan be with you all.